You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Yeah, good morning, church. You know, it's uh, it kind of neat to be here on the island. We've lived in Victoria for three years now. But usually in the summertime, we're on an evangelism tour or something's happening. So this is our first summer in Victoria, and it's interesting to see how it works out. And it's uh, crazy, like Jason mentioned with the fairies, just watching the fairy. It's a, it's a, uh, people love to talk about it, and it's kind of entertaining. <laughs> so a few weeks ago, Pastor Caleb asked if I would uh, take this Sunday, and he said he's really excited that this summer that we spend some time talking about uh, encounters with Jesus and evangelism and, and what the gospel is. And so today, I'm really excited to spend some time and talk to you guys a little bit about gospel and a little bit of, about evangelism. It's something that's really been on my heart. I think it goes right back to when I first became a Christian. I became a Christian when I was 17 years old. And, uh, you know, I became a Christian, found out that there was a Bible on our family shelf, and I started reading the Bible, started going to a local youth group, and the pastor there really encouraged us to memorize Scripture. And so one of the very first Scriptures that I memorized was 1 Peter 3.15. Uh, and part of that says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have, and do this with gentleness and respect. And so from the very beginning of my, my walk with Jesus... I decided that it was important for me to be able to explain my faith and to have an understanding of gospel. And so I've been working towards that personally ever since I started following Jesus. But then I became a youth pastor in a Baptist church, and then I joined YWAM this September. It will be 20 years ago. And so for the last 25 years, my job, my profession, has been to understand the gospel and to disciple and to teach other people about it. And so I'm going to, today, I'm going to give you three easy steps for you to share your faith. And so our, our three easy steps are number one, first of all, to know the gospel, to number two, to live the gospel, and number three, to go. Now, to know the gospel is obviously very important. And what I've discovered in talking to a lot of people is that uh, everyone says they know the gospel, but when you ask them for more details, sometimes they're a little hard-pressed to explain what it is. And I think that's true with a lot of things in society. So I, I need some audience participation here. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do a little example. Okay, so um, if you have heard of Isaac... Sorry. Uh, not Isaac Newton, uh, Einstein, would you please stand up? If you've heard of Einstein. Okay, and what is Einstein famous for? Anybody? Being smart. <laughs> what's, his, what's his famous uh, equation? Okay, um, if you can explain E equals MC squared and its relevance, please stay standing, otherwise sit down. Okay, good. Okay, now, now those of you standing, I, could one of you just come up and talk for about 60 seconds about what it is and, and, and what it means? There we go, Marty. 
Oh, we can do it down here. Okay. E is energy, M is mass, C is the speed of light. So energy equals the mass times the speed of light squared. And what the the what everybody generally knows about it is, this is the reason you can't go faster than light. The speed of light is because the faster, uh, if you have a certain mass, uh, the amount of energy you need to equal that, it just, it never, it reaches, never achieves the limit. Um, and it, it has <laughs> lots of relevance to do with gravity and uh, it, understanding of how the, even how creation happened. You know, the whole uh, Big Bang Theory, which is roughly analogous to the creation story in Genesis, uh, came to be scientifically known to be plausible because of his theories. Awesome, thank you. Okay, thank the Lord for smart people. All right, uh, what's the next one here? What about electricity? I'm not going to ask you to stand. I think we all say, I know what electricity is. Okay, is there anybody here that could explain how electricity works? Like in, who can give us a 60-second lesson on electricity? Okay. Or are we all in danger? Do we have somebody here that can give us 60 seconds on electricity? How, what is it? How does it work? Why does it hurt to touch those things? Yeah, you're allowed, Marty. There we go. Thank you, Marty. Okay, electricity is the movement of energy, and that is uh, done by electrons, which carry a charge. So uh, as the electrons move along the wire, it's kind of like they bump into each other, like, you know, the... The famous thing where you drop the ball and it hits the balls and the, and the one comes off the end, that's kind of how they move through metal. And so electricity is the movement of energy through electrons. Awesome. Thank you, Marty. That's so good. I remember we were renovating a room in our house. We were going to change the light in Gideon's bedroom years ago. And I said to Kim, we don't need an electrician. I got this. And so I turned off the switch, and then I took off the thing, and I put the screwdriver there to unscrew all the wires. And I touched it, <laughs> sparks went everywhere, and Kim screamed. And anyway, I don't know electricity. Uh, what's the next one? Uh, stars. <laughs> stars. Can, uh, we all know what a star is. We all look at stars. We see them in the sky. Somebody give us 30, 60 seconds on what is a star. Okay, this young man. A star is an area of space where enough hydrogen gas is formed to cause enough pressure by mass, so you have enough gravity to collapse in on itself and start a nuclear fusion, which will then create energy, and it'll start just making heat and energy and light, and it's basically just what a star is. It's just a space with a bunch of hydrogen. Okay, and last one. Last one. Uh, all right. 
What's the difference between Christianity and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Oh, there we go. An expert. Okay, 60 seconds. I just looked it up because I was like, what's the difference? Because they're so shiny. Mormons are so shiny. And I was like, cool. It's Mormon, right? Yeah. Uh, anyways, they have uh, the Bible, but it's a slightly different version. There are some words that are changed, key things that are a little bit different. Um, they also have, like, Joseph, I think. He brought in extra teachings. And also they have this idea, which is kind of interesting, that it's like the the nuclear family, the woman and the man, they if they do really good on earth, then they potentially get their own, like, universe in the afterlife. So it's um, very much based on performance. So it is a little different than Christianity. It's a lot different, actually. At, at, at the, it's like, oh, that's cool. And then you get deeper, and you're like, oh, that's weird. So, yeah. Awesome. Good job. And I realized there was one more, and the last one is yeast. We all know yeast is in bread. We use it for cooking. But what, what is yeast, and how does it work? Oh, I see a hand over here. So it's these little organisms that will eat things in, like, so you know how, like, kombucha and stuff? So, like, you'll make tea and then put yeast on it, and then it'll eat the tea and make, pretty much poop out the kombucha, <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, yogurt is sort of the same way as well. So, and with bread, it's bubbles or yeast parts. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Good job. Thank you. Yeast farts. There we go. So I have been traveling across Canada several times in the last few years and, and around the world. And this I often ask church pastors, elders, other missionaries, just random people, what is the gospel? And at first, it seems like a really easy answer. Oh, this, this is the gospel. But then when I ask them some clarifying questions, like, well, well what is it? Like, like, how does it work? Like, what does it mean? And usually, after a few questions like that, people go, well, oh, maybe, maybe I'm not sure. Or maybe... No, you're right, that doesn't really make sense, does it? And so my challenge for you guys is to go back and spend some time thinking about what the gospel is. Go back and ask yourself some questions about gospel to see how well you understand it. And I was thinking that this summer would be a really good time maybe for you to choose one of the gospel accounts Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and to read through the scriptures and simply ask the Lord the question, can you show me or can you reveal to me what the gospel message is? And I'll give you a few hints. Now, this, this, is, this is something that often surprises people. But Jesus and his disciples in the 70, they all preached the gospel for three years. And they, what they said, their exact words, are obviously in the scripture. 
And the interesting thing is that they didn't talk about the death or the resurrection of Jesus. And for many of us, when we say, well, what's the gospel? You'll, many of you will automatically go, oh, it's the death and resurrection of Jesus. I know that. That's easy. Well, that wasn't the gospel. Jesus preached for three years and didn't mention his own death or resurrection. The disciples didn't mention it. And when Jesus did die and was resurrected, it was a complete shock to everybody because that's not what they thought was going to happen. So if the gospel is not the death and resurrection of Jesus, well, what is the gospel? So there's a question for you. I would suggest reading, uh, you can start with the very first gospel account, the book of Matthew. Read through the book of Matthew. The second thing with that to notice about gospel um, is that it will require a little bit of history. So as you are reading the words that Jesus and the disciples use, you're going to have to think back a little bit about the context and what it means for the people of Israel and the beginning of the Bible. So if you haven't read the book of Genesis, it might be helpful to read the book of Genesis before you read one of the gospel accounts, and then it will help to make more sense. And the last thing about that is I think that when you, when you read it through and you see the phrase that the disciples and Jesus use when explaining the gospel, and you see that phrase and then understand it, it's like something will click. And all of a sudden you'll go, oh, this makes so much more sense. Usually when I teach on the gospel in YWAM, I go to these discipleship schools and it will take one entire week to develop the theology of gospel. And I can see when it clicks for people during that week. Sometimes it's on the second day or the third day or the fifth day, but you can see when all of a sudden they look up and go, oh, now I understand. Now it makes sense. Um, Years ago, when Kim and I were first married, we lived in an apartment building in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And we were on the eighth floor of this apartment building. And I remember, it was, I think it was like around this time of year, it was July. And I was fixing something. I don't even know what I was fixing, but I, I needed a certain type of screwdriver that I didn't have. It, it wasn't for the electricity. <laughs> good, good memory. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm bad with this. And so I needed one tool. And so I said to Kim, hey, I'll just run down, go across the street, and there's a Canadian tire. And so uh, it was like 10 in the morning, ran down, and it was really busy. I don't know why it was so busy, but the parking lot was full. I don't know if there was a parade that was setting up. Uh, I ran into the Canadian Tire. It was a big Canadian Tire. I go get my tool, and I go to the cashier at the front just to get my screwdriver and get out of there. And as soon as I, I pay, all of a sudden, a red light starts flashing above my head. And the woman looks at me, and she goes you're the daily winner. And I thought, daily winner? And then all of a sudden, I hear this microphone going, we have our daily winner. And a crowd started to cheer. And I thought, what's going on? And all of a sudden, like two women like run over and grab my arms and say, come with us. And they rush me outside and onto a stage. And there was about 300 people in the parking lot and there was a band, and there was music, and they all look at me and go, wah! And I've got my screwdriver. I don't know what's going on. And they, they said, the guy looks at me, and he's got the microphone, you've won our grand prize. And there's a big glass box 
in the, on the middle of the stage, and he goes, I don't know what year it was. It was their 65th anniversary. I don't know. But he goes, there's $165,000 in this box. And it's Canadian tire money, which I don't think exists anymore. $165,000. And then uh, you've got 60 seconds to get as much money as you can. And, uh, and I'm, I'm like, what? 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 I'm like still standing with my screwdriver. And they put like a tool, uh, uh, a nail pouch around me. And then the band starts going, blah, 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 this thing. And then they turn on this giant fan and the money starts swirling. And they put me in there and they're like, three, two, one. And then I, I'm, ah! <laughs> It was so surreal because like, Two minutes ago, I was paying for my screwdriver, and now I'm fighting for $165,000. And uh, I, I was panicking, and I, the 400 people are cheering, ah, and I'm, I'm like this. I was getting nothing. I think I had a couple of 10-cent bills. And then they're like, 10, 9, 8. I thought, oh, it was terrible. And then I realized that the money was kind of swirling in a pattern. And I, and I thought, wait a minute. And I put my hands out like this. And they instantly filled up with bills. Wah! Shoved it into the pouch. Did it twice. One. Psh, and it shut off. I thought, oh, man. That was the weirdest thing ever. And then they cheer and they open the door and say, we will count your money. And then the band plays a song. And I think I got a free fresca or something. And then um, they, they count. <laughs> I, everyone was a little disappointed because uh, do, what did it, do you remember the amount, Kim? Eighty dollars. Eighty dollars. <laughs> Two screwdrivers, good ones. Um, but man, I wish that I had figured out that thing at the beginning. If I'd been doing this from the beginning, maybe I'd have one hundred sixty-five thousand dollars. But instead, I had $80. And I, I think that with gospel, uh, I think that a lot of us are out there going, and not really getting it. Like, we know this is important, and, and, and we know that this is significant for our lives, but we don't really get this. And so I'd encourage you guys that this summer, that you read through the gospel accounts, pick one. Like, honestly, it's about 60 seconds a day for, Ju for July and August, and you'll read the, read the book of Matthew. And just simply look for the words that the Jesus used and the disciples used to come up with an understanding, uh, a renewed understanding of gospel. Uh, secondly, second thing that I think we need to do is to live the gospel. Um, I, I like memes. You guys know memes? That's like a thing now, memes. And one of my favorite memes, I got to come down because I like these. There's some memes about winning the lottery. Yeah, can, we, can we show a couple of those? And they're called, there will be signs. So even if someone doesn't tell you that they won a lottery, there will be signs. Here's a couple of pictures. There will be signs. This is, this is one after inflation. I really, I like this one. Full take of gas. I was thinking of Gary for this one, actually. And some of you dog people, too, of course. 
All right. But for us, when you're a Christian, there will be signs. There will be signs. When you become a Christian, it means that God becomes your king. And as your king, he commands you to do things. He has a job for you to do. It's not that you get a ticket into heaven, you get your pass, you get your salvation, and then you can go home and chill out. When you become a Christian, it means that you are entering into the king's service. And there's things that he wants you to do. And again, if you read through the gospel accounts, you're going to find that God is fairly specific with us. And so uh, we have a slide up here. This is just taken out of, I think, Matthew 24. These are some of the things that God asks us to do as his followers. He wants us to give food and water to people to help with their daily needs. And so what we have to do, I'll read a few more of these, but what we have to do with each one of these is we have to translate the words that Jesus was speaking to the community 2,000 years ago to our community today. So 2,000 years ago, the words that Jesus used would be to give food and water to people, to take care of the sick, to visit those in prison, to welcome the stranger, to give clothing to the naked. So for us today, in Victoria, Brentwood Bay, Sydney, in the year 2023, what does this mean? What does this mean? How do we translate this command from 2,000 years ago into today, right now? Okay, actually, what I'd like you to do is to turn and get into a group of about five or six or seven people. We're going to take five minutes, and I'd like it if you could pick one or two of those and simply discuss what would that look like today? Because I want this to be your thought. I want you guys to put a little bit of work into this and to translate these commands from 2,000 years ago to today. Because it's some of these things are kind of rare. And we have hospitals now for sick people. But maybe there's other kinds of sickness in our community that need healing. Maybe have, people have physical food and physical water. But maybe there's something else that's really important for life that they're lacking. And it's not always religious. It could be another, another real need that they have for life that's lacking. Okay, can we do that? I know it's a little bit strange, but uh, get into a group of about five, six. I'm going to give you five minutes. Pick one of these. What does it mean today? All right, your time is up. You can stay in your groups. That's all right. I think. No, we're gonna have a time. We're gonna have a time to report. I don't need every group. I'm wondering if we've got two or three ideas about how we can live the gospel in our community. So, is there somebody you want to nominate somebody from your group to share an idea that they had? Our, our group was talking about the prison part. Our, our group was talking about visiting those in prison, and it was noted in our group that often prison's not just a physical structure that people get trapped in. And we drilled down a little bit, and one of the conversations we had is that prison often looks like fear. And how do you find a person if they're isolated and alone and afraid? But we know that when a person's visited in their prison, it can be very meaningful to them.
So we talked about where does that fear lie, and we know that perfect love drives fear out. So showing love to people would be a beautiful way. Someone noted in our group that it seems that maybe groups like Jehovah's Witnesses have kind of got the corner on the market of visiting people in their homes. And wouldn't it be beautiful if people who named Jesus as Savior did the visitation to people in their homes so they weren't alone and isolated and afraid? And then another person mentioned, you know, there's such a strong left movement that drives the dialogue and the narrative in society about everything related to gender and how we look at things and how we behave sexually. We often ourselves can be trapped in fear to not speak truth and speak it lovingly. And so those were some of the parts that kind of played out just on visiting those in prison and riffing on that. Living the gospel. And we started with uh, those memes about there will be signs. You know, one of the great advantages that we have is that Jesus revealed that he is our shepherd and that he will provide for us, he will care for us, he will protect us. He says if we ask our heavenly father for anything, he will give it to us. So we have this incredible advantage as we love those around us. We have the resources to love those around us. Um, a lot of times people ask me what my job is when I'm traveling, and I really don't like to ever use religious words because the moment you say like pastor or priest or missionary, it just really conjures up some, some strange ideas sometimes. So I've, I've kind of kind of settled on my job description. So when I'm sitting on a plane or at the airport and someone says, what do you do? I usually say I'm a professional lover. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> hopefully we didn't record that. But my, I get paid to love people. I get paid, <laughs> it gets worse. But our job as Christians is to love people. <laughs> it gets worse. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next point. Oh, no, I got to do one little story. One little story. Uh, about having a father that provides for us and taking advantage of that. When Kim and I were dating, uh, we were both poor college students, and we would go out, and I'd, I'd go, oh, man, I think I've got like $17 in my account, and i got to somehow pull off movies and a dinner with my girlfriend. And so it was always pretty tight. It was pretty close. And I think somewhere near the end of uh, our dating, right before we got married, Kim, Kim said, you know, my dad gave me a credit card. I said, how long have you had this credit card? She says, he gave it to you like two years ago. I can use it whenever I want. I said, why have I been paying for everything? And then I think on one of our last dates, Kim paid for the meal. I was like, yes, yes. I've hit it big time. My wife has a credit card or my girlfriend has a credit card. And I, and I think that that's a realization we need to come to as Christians, that we have a heavenly father that's given us a credit card and says, I'll pay for it. You want to love somebody, you want to provide for somebody, you want to do this thing for those people, I'll do it with you. Here's my card, go and do it. Okay, last point, and it's a quick one, is that we need to go. Uh, end of the gospel account, Matthew, Jesus gives the church something called the Great Commission, and he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all the commands that I've given to you. But the first word that he says is go. And a lot of people... 
uh, will say, well, he says, first to Jerusalem, then to Israel, then to the other nations. So they, they think, well, it begins in our hometown. But the interesting thing is that when Jesus was talking to that group of people, if you look at who he's talking to, they were people, they were Galileans in Jerusalem. They were people that had already left their hometowns. They had left the region of Galilee to come down to Jerusalem. And so when Jesus says, go, it's not an option for us. But it's not always a physical change of location, but it is a change of location. So when Jesus says, go to these places, you have to, if God is your king, you have to say, well, where should I go? And for a lot of people, it's, it's going to be a major shift in life. And one thing that I really appreciate about, there was a vineyard church that was started in Winnipeg in the 1990s when I was going to school there. And they had started renting a building. It was in the suburbs. It was nice. But they realized that they were called to the inner city, and they were doing a lot of ministry there. And most of the church members were fairly well-off people that could afford nicer houses in the suburbs, in the you know, acreages outside of the city of Winnipeg. But their ministry was in the inner city. So over a series of months, most of the families in the church said, you know what? I have to go. I can't stay way out here in the countryside when the people that God's called us to are in the middle of the city. And so about 15 families from the church sold their beautiful big dream houses at the edge of the city and moved to the middle of Winnipeg, and they bought like every second house around one city block really rough. You know those small houses that are 100 years old that most people would tear down and rebuild? Well, these families made a conscious decision that for them, going meant to leave the suburbs and to go live in the inner city, side by side with all the people they want to minister to. Uh, I don't know what God is calling you to, where he's calling you to go, but I know he's calling you to go. It might mean a change of relationships. It might mean a change of job. It might mean a physical change, but I know 100% that God is saying to all of you, go. question is, where are you supposed to go? All right. Uh, let me finish with this. Uh, my, one of my favorite parables when it comes to talking about the gospel is from Matthew chapter 13. It's the parable of the pearl and the treasure. It's just three verses. Let me read it to you in closing. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he had and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all he had and bought it. When we talk about evangelism or sharing with people, I think we often think of a street preacher that's out there you know, trying to yell at people as they pass by, or maybe they, you think of it as arguing with somebody. But in my experience, the best way to share faith is to, prevent, uh, is to present them with something valuable. In this parable, a person sees a pearl of great value and finds a treasure in a field. No one had to argue them into it. No one had to say, here are 10 biblical reasons for you to do this. Or here is, uh, you know, 
um, if you don't do this, you will suffer eternal punishment. It was no argument like that. They saw something that had such great value that it says they immediately sold everything they had to get it. So when I think of us as a church and us as a Christian community sharing with those around us, I think we need to be holding something up that is so amazing and so valuable and so beautiful that when people see it, we're not convincing them. We're not talking them into it. They see it and they immediately sell everything they have to get it. And so we as a church, we as a people, we as families, we need to find out, what is this thing? What are we holding up that's so amazing that people would immediately sell everything they own to get it? So, Lord Jesus, thank you that you are our king. Jesus, we thank you that you have revealed to us your kingdom, and you have revealed to us your, um, our Father's love in heaven. And for us as a community, for us as people, for us as family, Lord Jesus, uh, help us to discover these things. Lord, I thank you for the scriptures that guide us and teach us. And Lord, as we read through the gospel accounts this summer, that you would uh, open our eyes to see new things and to have new understanding. Lord, we're, we're so excited that you've invited us into your kingdom to share the good news. And Lord, help us to find the pearls and the treasures in the field so that we can show it to our neighbors and that they will also have an opportunity to have treasure and find pearls like we have in our lives. Thank you for the credit card that you gave us, that we can go out and minister in your name and you'll pay for it. Thank you that we have an opportunity to love people and to be um, good to our neighbors. We bless your name and say thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Life Tree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Life Tree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.